0: the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side I will never believe
1: let us pray Lord we come to you to your word and ask that you would speak to our hearts for what we will face this week in Christ's name Amen again great to see so many of you um, children grades 1 to 5 may I have your attention. Now is the time to take out your sermon notes and sketchbook. Adults, you wish you picked up a white bag. Now I know. And when you find this, you will see there is nothing in the pages. And so feel free to sketch. Feel free to uh, write a prayer request. Feel free to write a joke whatever you can think of. And if you'd like, at the end of the service, as you leave, there's a basket. You could tear the page out, leave it there. And if it's a prayer request, we will pray them. If it's a joke, we will tell them. And if it's a picture, we will delight in them. So that's for you. Now, for the rest of us, let's turn to our text, which is John 20, verses 19 to 25. And it's such a, a significant passage, isn't it? And it is powerful, and sometimes Thomas steals the thunder. So what we're going to do is we are going to uh, look at Thomas next week and just stick at the first half of what was going on this week. So if you look down with me in John uh, chapter 20, verse 19, we say that on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the door being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, comma... Fear is the context here. Fear is the context. Uh, Fear is powerful. Fear is, there is a healthy side to fear, and there's an unhealthy side to fear. Fear has been widely talked about this past year in almost every part of life. Uh, The American physiologist Walter Cannon in the last century was the one who discovered that all mammals have one thing in common. Well, actually they have more than one thing in common, but the one thing in common he was interested in is that the digestive systems of all mammals are disrupted by the stress, the unique stress brought on by fear. Fascinating, isn't it? And you know this that in response to fear, muscles tense and they get ready for action. Heart rate increases, blood pressure increases to, pl- to pump blood with speed into limbs in readiness to flee or in readiness to fight. Fear, the word, you English majors and those who study English will like this. Fear comes from the old English word that I am about to mispronounce, "fair," f a e r. We can get discuss pronunciation later, but that old English word denotes calamity or danger. So the root of our idea of fear comes from danger and calamity, and then it changed in its history to mean alarm, dread, and an intense desire. To defend oneself by fight or flight. So fear, our concept of fear really, is two different things. It's the knowledge of a clear and present danger at, at a certain time and place that we're under. That's one side. The second side is what happens in our minds, which is the emotive response, which leads to a number of things. It makes us uh, when we have a t- tangible danger in mind, this idea enters and arises in the mind, and it begins to affect all of our body. Danger leads to fear. And that fear is something that's very good. When the gr- clouds go green above the skies in Texas, it's good to be slightly afraid and say, okay, I think we need to think about shelter. A tornado might be happening, Right? Um, if you open a package and white dust appears, and you know, Kevin Howard, he said, there could be, um, it's unlikely to be anthrax, but it could be, right? Maybe, who knows? It could just be flour. Um, but you never know. And some of us aren't worried about that until now. So, fear, fear is the context here. This is what's going on with the disciples. They had just endured the calamity of the execution of Jesus and were living in a state of dread. So they saw something happen at such a time and such a place, and now their minds are at work because they think, if it happened to him, it could happen to me. And they're dreading, and they're facing it, This tangible sense, this tangible reality. And so when we read on verse verse 19, look down with me. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, the scholars say they weren't just afraid of the Jewish leaders. They were afraid of the others. They were afraid of the informants who were under the influence of the Jewish leaders who might tell someone the followers of Jesus of Nazareth are in the upper room. That's what they're afraid of. Does anyone identify with fear this evening? Verse 20 carries on. Verse 20, um, verse 19, it's finished the verse. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So there's another debate that happens. So how did he arrive there? Some interpreters think, well, the door was being locked, so he miraculously somehow phased through the wall. The physics involved are beyond my comprehension. The calculus, impossible. Others think that he simply, because he had a real physical body with flesh and bones after he rose from the dead, he just miraculously opened the lock from the outside. The doors open and he entered. But here's the encouragement, because when we face fear, awful advice is readily available. It's everywhere. Some Christians, if you are dealing with fear, and I mean fear and not anxiety, so let's just park anxiety to the side. Let's just deal with fear. If you have real fear in your life, Christians can be incredibly difficult when they say you just need to pray more or just have some faith. And it's when they start doing that, I give permission to people to say, don't make me hurt you. (laughs) Because when bad advice comes, it just needs to stop. Or some will say, you need to overcome your fear, and the Lord will meet you in that place. But the real promise here in verse 19, if you look down again, is that Jesus came and stood among them. So Jesus enters their fear. He enters their fear, and the promise is, is that Jesus' very real presence manifested in bodily form to the disciples in their very place of fear. He did it for them, and he can do it for you, and he can do it tonight. He doesn't wait for us to overcome, but meets us where we are and leads us out. The expression "Love casts out all." Fear is a good one, right? I mean, it comes from the Scriptures, so who am I to disagree? Um, But I think there's an in-between step. Dorothy Day took that, and she said this, love casts out all fear, but we have to get over the fear in order to get close enough to love them. Isn't that good? We have to get over the fear in order to get close enough to love them. And my question is always, well, how? I will never change a light bulb in this building. I have a very healthy belief in gravity and the corresponding fear of heights. I will never jump and be attached to a bungee cord. I have no faith in bungee, it's rubber. I'm too heavy. It's just not gonna work, it's not gonna end well. And I don't wanna arrive at the gates and whether Peter's there or not and he'll say, you're too early. We were expecting you years from now. Why did you die doing something you weren't called to do? Um, Well, how do we do this? Well, again, in verse 19, Jesus appears to them. He says, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands and his side. And the scriptures say the disciples were glad. The peace of God isn't just an absence of conflict, but the real peace, the shalom of God it's what Jesus died in order to bring, us, bring to us so that instead of whatever's in your heart, when the peace of God comes into your life, into your home, into your household, the reaction is there's a flourishing. Life breaks out in abundance. So it's about going from fear, facing clear danger, tangible dread, Jesus blesses them, shows them his hands and his side and they see the marks of execution and suddenly what happens to those marks of execution they've become badges of glory the scars that led to death have become signs of life fear is gone the disciples begin to flourish fear turns to gladness in the sense of danger and their emotive response of dread is gone. And then what happens? I mean, that's just incredible, isn't it? And so often we skip through this. And, and so what, what does Jesus have to offer you this evening? Well, he, he, he wants not to invite you so much into something, but he wants to come in to where you are, that he might see the flourishing in your life of his presence. So, moving on, uh, John 20. When we, when we had said, he showed them his hands and his side, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Uh, the scholars among us will know this is John's version of the Great Commission. But the thing here is, the big idea, is the one sent by the Father has now become the sender. And he now commissions his followers to serve as his messengers and representatives. So the fearful are now the sent ones, the messengers, all possible by the power of the resurrection and the work of the Spirit. Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of best understood as a foretaste of what would happen when the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost. Little taste. Little taste. So, so far, so good. Verse 23 is when the challenge hits. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you, if you withhold forgiveness from any, It is withheld. C.S. Lewis famously wrote, Unforgiveness is like drinking poison expecting the other person to die. Unforgiveness really afflicts us more than the person we may be angry towards. And the thought here, there are two meanings, is in verse 23, is that as the church proclaims the gospel message of forgiveness in the power of the Spirit, It proclaims that those who come to believe in Jesus will have new life and their sins will be forgiven. And those who do not believe in Him won't be able to avail themselves of it because it's what He does. And here's the important thing. It's not really about excusing behavior. We excuse behavior, we say, oh, that's just what they're like. Or that's their way of showing love when they act badly. A long time ago, Rachel and I have been married 17 years, 18, coming up to 18, Uh, years ago. uh, I was leaving the house early. We're living in London. Rachel was leaving after me, and the, the garbage, the trash was overflowing. And as I left, I said, Rachel, do you mind taking out the trash? She said, yeah, sure. And then uh, she went off to work, the school after I'd left. She was head of, headmistress of a school at the time. I came home after her, and the trash was still overflowing. And it happens. The spirit of stupidity descended upon me. And this was not the Lord, this was the opposite. And I turned to Rachel and I said, Rachel, shall I show you, and I can't even believe I do this. Um, I did this, but I said, Rachel, shall I show you how to take out the trash? And you can imagine it went from worse to horrific because, you know, it was, I, Rachel said, how dare you say this? I deserved everything she said afterwards. And she said, you have no idea how my day has been. And you start with this. What you've just said is unexcusable and it hurts. And you can never repay that. You can't make it up to me. But I forgive you and I relinquish my right to collect on the debt that you now owe me, and I give it to Jesus. Strong words that I deserved, but captures forgiveness so powerfully. It's not about excusing behavior. It's when we forgive, it's not saying, oh, that's just what they're like. We'll let it slip when they do this. It's saying, that is inexcusable, that is inappropriate behavior. Stop. I'll not tolerate it again. And you've hurt me. And there's a debt that you owe me that you can never repay. And yet I choose to surrender my right on that debt to Jesus. And I choose to forgive you and surrender that to him and put it at the foot of the cross. That's forgiveness. And if you do it right, it should feel like your very flesh is being torn apart. Because on the cross, that's what it did to him to enable us to be able to forgive those who've hurt us. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. How do you feel about that? That your act of forgiveness may just create something in that person's life that will one day lead them to an experience of the love of God. Are you up for the job? Of course not. I mean, I'm not, and I'm paid to do it, right? So we're in trouble. But the worst, uh, but, but here's the thing. This isn't an ask. Jesus is not asking them. He's commanding them to do this. But wait, only God can forgive sins, right? That's what we all know. And yes, that's right. And God is going to forgive sins through his disciples, Because somebody has to take the message. Somebody has to represent the crucial promise and gift that comes from Jesus. And the promise of what enables the disciples to start the church is the crucial gift of the Holy Spirit. The point of receiving the Holy Spirit isn't that they have, we have these incredible spiritual experiences, though they come. But it's about them receiving the Holy Spirit so that they can do the tough work that needs to be done, that increasingly people seem to be less inclined to do to forgive, to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry, and to do this in a world that is dark, that needs light. What Jesus had been doing in Israel is what he now asks the disciples to take to the world. And he asks, he commands us to carry it on. And it's not easy. And if we think we're up for the job, then we're in for a quick education and humility because it is difficult and it is impossible but for the grace of God. One last note on peace as I close. The word peace is repeated twice, and with the peace that comes from Jesus and the flourishing of the heart, the disciples are enabled to perform what Jesus is asking them to do, what he's commanding them to do, and to do it in the power and with the knowledge that sin isn't something to be be toyed with. I love that chocolate commercial So good, it's sinful. But that's not what we're talking about. Sin is serious. It's a deadly disease. And followers of Jesus have the privilege of bringing the flourishing of the soul to people who are caught up in something that is making them sick. Followers of Jesus in the first century were empowered by the Spirit to receive peace and to forgive. Jesus did it for them, And He can do it for you, and He can do it for you tonight. Is there anyone you need to forgive? Is there anyone you need to forgive? Let me ask you a different question. Is there a need in our world today? Is there an issue in our city? Is there something going on in East Dallas in your family or that you know of that breaks your heart? If there is, it maybe an indication. It may not be, but the chances are it's an indication that this is an area the Lord is calling you into to pray and to be a representative of love, of the kingdom of light. And so we're going to let the question of forgiveness hang, and we're going to move into a time of prayer, if you don't mind. And I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to do the prayers of the people. I know we're doing it slightly out of order, but I think, you know, never mind, let's move along. And, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and I'm going to lead you to pray, space to pray quietly, and I'll, I'll sum it up, and we'll move along. As I say, Lord, in your mercy, you say, hear our prayer, down on, on page 7. So, Lord, we come to you with these words from John's Gospel as a people called to be light in the darkness here in East Dallas. And so we pray for your church in East Dallas and across the city. We pray that you'd bless the work of your church and do a work of unity. And now quietly in your hearts, if you have friends who attend a different church, just pray a blessing on them quietly in your own hearts so no one can hear Lord, in your mercy, Lord, we lift you those near and dear to us, loved ones, family members, friends. We pray that you'd strengthen them. We especially pray for any who are sick. And friends, let's name them out loud now and pray for God's healing for them. Pray for Louise. Louise. Lord Jesus, would you bring your healing, bring your peace, Lord, in your mercy? We pray for those who are hungry tonight. We pray for those who are living in unsafe conditions. We pray for victims of injustice. And we ask that you'd move and mobilize your church to bring your light. and your presence to them. Lord, in your mercy. Finally, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would continue to speak to us, to lead us, and to show us what it is you would have us do. Accept these prayers, Heavenly Father, for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, we're almost done. Plenty of time. Children, how's the notebook going? How are the sketches? Any jokes? Good. I need those jokes later. It's a tough crowd tonight. We'll tell them after at the playground. Okay. Do you have anyone to forgive? You don't, I don't need any kind of sign. I, I, in many ways, I, it doesn't matter to me what the answer is because chances are you do, but I don't need to see that you, you need to do that. Instead, we're just going to create a little space for you to do some business with God. The good news is Jesus doesn't invite us or command us to be feelers. So if you don't feel like doing it, that's okay. He calls us to be believers, to do something out of informed decision based on good evidence, which is that we have the power to forgive because his son rose from the dead and has filled us with the Spirit. So, very quietly, sometimes we think that the... um, Big things in life ought to take a lot of time Not to be intense. Not always true. Sometimes it's just a quick legal transaction that has to be repeated over time. And that's what forgiveness is like. You make a start, and sometimes you have to follow it up over and over again. So just echo this prayer in the quiet of your hearts. Lord Jesus, I choose to forgive they just put their name in quietly. I recognize they've hurt me. There's a debt they can't repay. And their behavior was unacceptable. And in your name, Jesus, I choose to hand that debt over to you. I choose to forgive them in your name. Would you forgive me for any way that I have responded sinfully to what they've done? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well done. Amen. Again, if you do it right, it shouldn't feel good. And sadly, the good news is he has done it for us, and he strengthens us and enables us to do it. So as we're standing, may the peace of the Lord, the flourishing presence of the living God be with you all this day.